Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, and welcome to the August 25th DevOps Distance Lunch and Learn starring Charity Majors this, this week. Uh, we had an amazing conversation talking about observability, but then we drifted into management and cloud, and uh, Charity was dropping a whole bunch of truth bombs about management and vendors and all sorts of stuff. So absolutely worth your time. Uh, and listen, sign up for more of this. Participate in the community in the calls at the2030.cloud. Uh, so the2030.cloud is uh, your source for all things distance DevOps and 2030 cloud future discussions. Thank you. Sure. Uh, hi, uh, I'm Charity, um, ops geek and uh, co-founder of Honeycomb, which has not died yet to my eternal surprise. <laughs> uh, kicking it, you guys. You're you're doing you're you're kicking it. It seems to seems to be. You know, I I always one hundred thousand percent assumed it would fail. I mean, I'm an obscure, you know, we're always looking for like, how is this going to fail? And I'm just like, definitely we're going to fail. And every year would come around and be like, well, this is the year we're definitely going to fail. This is the first year where I'm like, we're not going to fail, uh, which probably means we're doomed. So, <laughs> you know, um, but, but we do observability. I would argue we are one of only two companies out there who actually do observability. Um, but, you know, of course it has become one of everyone's favorite marketing terms. So, the, you know, remains to be seen whether, whether we will win the battle for the technical definition or if it will just become yet another generic term for telemetry. We'll see. It's always a good, a good sign when people are stealing your, uh, your marketing. It is, terms. but also it makes me pretty stabby. <laughs> makes sense. I, the missionary work that you had to do to actually get a term adopted is insanely hard lift. Yeah, it was like three years of just traveling around the world yelling about this stuff, which, you know, yelling is one of my favorite things. It's a personal, like, passion. <laughs> um, but it was, it was really weird. It was like, it was like one day everyone was like, nope, it's a solved problem. Data docs going public. You're too late. There's nothing left to be done. And then, like, the next day we woke up and it was like, the world was just like, but of course we want observability. We have always wanted observability. How could, you know, it was very, it was very, it was very sudden and strange. So. How, how did you differentiate between observability and telemetry or like, how do, where do, why, where do well, you see it as a different place in market? Sure, totally. Well, telemetry, I think is just the general term for, you know, numbers that you use to understand things, right? Um, I think it's easier to, to differentiate it from monitoring, actually, because monitoring is something that is, it's, um, well, it's, it's, it's very, it's more black boxy and post hoc. It's like, okay, I, I think I'm going to define some thresholds that are, that mean, okay, right? I'm just going to check it over again. Are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? Right? It's, it, so it's like a third person, it's a third, third person narrative, almost. Um, mm, and and it's based in metrics, you know, it, it, there's this whole like third year, you know, heritage of metrics based um, monitoring solutions um, versus uh, observability cannot be based on metrics because with metrics, as soon as you write a metric out to disk, you've discarded all of the connective tissue of the event. Um, and, and typically metrics are, are you, you do a lot of aggregation, right? Like RD tool is like the, the canonical you know, RDs are like, they never grow because they just discard all that data and they, and they lose fidelity as they age out, right? 
um, observability is always based around events um, or spans if you know if you're coming from the tracing perspective um, and and this because the only aggregation that they do is around um, the request itself and and it's more more of a first person narrative because it's your code itself saying here's what I'm doing here's what I'm doing right and and it aligns you much more closely with your user because you know monitoring metrics are really good for infrastructure problems is my service healthy right uh, is my database you know in good condition like metrics are great for those things but if you want to know what the experience of any single individual user is like well you can't get it because you've discarded that connective tissue at the time of writing it out to test um, with events you can right if you have if you have the proper event store and the ability to slice and dice, you have high cardinality, high dimensionality. Um, with well-instrumented services, we'll typically see like each event is 300 or 400 dimensions wide. So, and, and, and this, really, this really comes from, um, you know, us blowing up the monolith into microservices because when you just have one monolithic process, you could attach a debugger and trace it, right? If you had to, you could just, you could just step through it now you can't because every single time your process hops the network, you've discarded all of the context. <laughs> you just don't even have it anymore. Yeah. And so with, with, with observability, you're, you're basically packing that context along with the event as it, as it goes hopping around. So you can, you can just spot it, spot the problems. So, I mean, the, one of the things that, that struck me for, for what you're doing is like, you and Kubernetes, you know, and containers more generally, like be, became necessary together. You were, you were just at the, the forward edge of being like, wait a second, I'm running, you know, what I care about is a whole bunch of, it's a thread across a whole bunch of services. And like with some of the stuff, the containers are gone by the time you go look yeah, for exactly. what happens. Yeah. Is this a different way of thinking for people? Like, I mean, a lot of us are ops nerds from that perspective. It, you know, what you're talking about, one of the things you sort of have to do is you get developers to embed uh, observability. And that's like, I, when, I, when I watch the Twitter threads about Honeycomb, it's like, you know, the ops people being excited because the developers are actually incented yeah. to produce Well, like, we're, we're, we're reaching a, a place of complexity where if you didn't write the thing, <laughs> you have almost no hope of understanding it and debugging it in any like reasonable amount of time you just yeah. you know it's you know and so i think that the entire nature of ops work is is changing dramatically um and and it's becoming less we'll run this for you and it's more okay we're experts in running things we're going to help you run your thing and we're going to create standardization you know across all of the services and and provide you know common sets of tools and languages and golden paths and everything. Um, it's funny because like a lot of people think that you know Kubernetes and observability go together. I I don't because you know it. We don't care if it's you know if it's if it's a container if it's an instance if it's serverless. Don't give a shit, right? It's just code executing. All we care about is can the code get the resources that it needs to execute, and if not, why not, right? Um, and, and from that perspective, like you know, a lot of people are doing Kubernetes to themselves and it's very self-inflicted and they don't need it, <laughs> but, but that's a different, whole different problem. Um, 
but, but, the, but the nature, you know, you asked, it, are, do they go together and is it changing? And the, and the answer is yes. You know, the problem is no longer, the hard problem is no longer what is wrong or what's broken in the code. The, the, the hard problem is now, where is the thing that is broken? You know, it's once you find the problem, it's usually pretty easy to fix the code. But if you've got hundreds of microservices and everything's getting slow, like where the fuck do you even start? You know, because yeah. like, when, when something gets slow, everything gets slow. And then it becomes really difficult to tell which is the cause and which is the effect. Same thing with databases, you know, some of the hardest problems with databases I ever had were the ones where, well, the whole database has gotten slow. So your slow query, your, your list of slow queries are useless because usually they're going to be stuffed with read queries because read queries can yield and write queries can't. So it's usually write queries that are never even going to show up on your list that are the cause of the congestion that is causing all of your slow queries to get slow, right? It's, right. You know, these, these problems get like astronomically more difficult. It's interesting. So do you, and I guess one of the, the things that I think about, like I, I can see a body of code where slowly I, I keep adding, because the, 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 what you're talking about is ultimately additive to the code, right? We're adding markers, we're adding benchmarking pieces, we're, we're, we're making the code observable. Yeah. And, and, and that's, it's good, because I mean, that's gonna, we're gonna over time build up a legacy of, you know, places where, hey, this code is really causing us problems. We have a lot of observability markers. Yeah. Um, is there, actually I should ask, is there a lexicon for that? Am I? There used to be. <laughs> well, but yeah. But, so the, the part of the issue is, is the software world has forgotten so much of their history that back when computers were these big monoliths, but no observability into it, all the folks writing the code made uh, essentially, if you want the debug, like Charity said, the debug stuff was always there and they had standards mm -hmm. and they had structure. And this was the fight yes. that I was fighting in OpenStack where <laughs> everybody just kind of made random log messages that had no structure. Yes. And then each event, we tried to tr uh, come up with a way to trace each event with a notification, but you needed to know where it started where it was now and where it was going to. And I fought that fight for five years in OpenStack and it was just starting to get there when I got pulled off of it by my, my company. So I love that Charity is bringing a greater awareness to it and getting more people to code that way because the, the folks who write the software now, and this is the whole DevOps thing, they're so far removed from operations yes. that they don't see any reason for having this stuff because this is, Until it's too late. it works on their machine. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? This is, this is such a good point. I, I have, yes, uh, people have forgotten how to write debuggable code. They've forgotten how to emit telemetry the right way. And I blame the vendors for this. I blame the vendors who have been like, just give us, give us tens of millions of dollars We'll auto-instrument everything. You'll never have to worry about it. You'll never have to think about it. We'll tell you where to look when things are broken. We'll, you know, and, and like, and so, and so now people are just like, oh, well, aren't you gonna make it all magical for me? And I'm like, well, actually, no. And, and here's the thing, we can make it easier for you. We've written all kinds of helpers 
we'll wrap your HTTP stuff automatically, we'll wrap your database stuff automatically, we'll, we'll, we'll make it easier. It'll be so easy that it's like adding a printf, but you do have to, because only you know what your business logic is. Like, I don't know what you're trying to do for your business logic, only you know that. And so you have to instrument that. And like, there's, there's something, and I don't know, this is, this is a harder sell for people than, we'll just make it magical, which is like the new relic and the data dog way, but, but it's a lie. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> at, at, at some level, you do have to instrument your own code or you're just, you're just not gonna know what's important. It's all on one pane of glass. It's all right. <laughs> I hear that one more time. I know, I know. I think I need some Windex. <laughs> right. You wouldn't want other people to put breakpoints automatically in your code for your debugging, right? So you, why do you want them to put logging in your code? How do you know where your breakpoints go? You know where you want to stop and check and see what's going on. I mean, telemetry yeah. is the same kind of intimate you know thing exactly 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 it, it is very intimate I, I like that the way of putting it it's just another way of commenting your code right and and like we all know how successful auto commenting things have been like they're just they're a joke right auto instrumenting should be the same joke yeah and, and it's not as if there isn't stuff we can do automatically we can do lots of stuff automatically the the predictable repeatable stuff we can do automatically we can we can make it easy for you but at the end of the day, somebody's got to know the code. <laughs> and honestly, you know, this is something where I found that like C-levels are kind of the obstacle because this is something that blew my fucking mind. They have a closer relationship with their vendors, with their own employees. Their, their, yeah. their philosophy is employees come and go, but vendors last forever. And so they trust them more. They trust the vendors more than they trust their own people to, to, to understand their own code. And that, that was that just blew my mind. <laughs> so we saw that back in uh, the dot com days, where all these MBAs were coming out and saying engineers are cogs, software developers are cogs. We don't have to treat them well because we can always get a new one and just replace them. And the MBAs they didn't associate with developers; they only associated with other MBAs and right and. Uh, VCs. I feel like it's a little different now. I feel like I, I think that engineers have more power now. I, yeah. I, I think that they hesitate to flex it sometimes. <laughs> I believe that. Especially on the ops side of things because Especially on ops, the ops, side. ops and QA have always been the ones that uh, kill, shoot the messenger. Yes. And they always so, bring the bad news. Yeah. <laughs> they always... And, and they are legitimately a cost center of, of sorts, you know, like, and this, this is that piece that I wrote last week about, you know, how infrastructure, like operations is diverging, you know, along, along the infrastructure axis, because, you know, infrastructure, if, if your mission is not an infrastructure, if you're not an infrastructure company, all the infrastructure that you build is a distraction. It might be a necessary distraction, but it is a distraction from your mission. And so I feel like people who love infrastructure and ops need to kind of make a choice either go work for an infrastructure company where you're solving a category problem for the world or take the skills that you have and take them to companies and help them figure out how to achieve their mission with as little infrastructure as possible. You know, I feel like, I feel like the next niche might be vendor engineering, like, because it takes a remarkable amount of skill to knit together, you know, into a seamless whole, 
a bunch of third-party providers and actually figure out what is the small amount of business code that we need to, to write to achieve our mission. Like, that is not easy work. Yes. And going back again to history, it's the system engineering companies that sold their, their services to companies saying, okay, so we will take all these off the shelf components and build you what you need so that you can run on top of it. And now it's more cloud and much more software and network rather than physical systems. Yeah. Now it's all APIs. Turtles all the way down. Yes. <laughs> how deep does your how deep does your turtle stack go? <laughs> oh God. <laughs> no, but it's better. It, it is better. I believe it's a better world. You know, I mean, I remember having to drive to the data center and flip the power switch on the MySQL primaries. Like those days are God, God, good riddance. <laughs> you know, it is a better world. It just, um, you know, I feel like. I feel like there are a couple of lessons that, that we need to, I, and I feel like, like, I feel like that there was this separation between devs and ops that never should have happened. And I feel like we're kind of in the middle of healing that rift and making it clear that you run it, or you write it, you run it, right? And nobody doesn't write code. <laughs> nobody doesn't write code. <laughs> nobody doesn't run code. And, and we just figure out how to reorganize ourselves. And I think it's a healthier world because I think that, you know, I think that the first rule of like, Socio-technical systems engineering is you have to understand the feedback loop in order to debug the feedback loop and figure out where the problems are. Yeah, although I must say I, I'm truly disappointed in this whole shift left thing. Why is that? Why? Because again, it's everyone shifting left and they're going back to QA and it's not just testing. And there's this lack of understanding that QA involves more than testing. And so there's this very naive approach to shifting left at the moment. And it's great that they're shifting left, but all these people think that they're solving all these really hard problems. And I need a pat on the back when a little bit of research in the world will find things like honeycomb and will find other things that would shorten their cycle to something reasonable or people who would shorten their cycle because they've been there and done that. It doesn't matter whether you're coming from ops or dev, it's still where, how do you make sure things aren't going to break by making sure all those bits and pieces are in there to begin with. Hey, Rocky. Yeah. Rocky, do you think that that is part of the lack of um, connective storytelling of how solid engineering across the board adds to the bottom line business value? How do we deliver um, ideas and solutions to the marketplace? So I, I really do. The, the whole agile process when applied to huge infrastructure, it's just frightening because <laughs> Because Agile, it's like, oh, let's just throw something together quickly. When you've got something right. so complex to try and understand, small little stories just add more spaghetti. Yep. You need an epic, you need an, a systems overview. 
and it's the ops folks and it's the QA folks and how you train devs to actually see beyond their, their happy path. And part of it is putting in standards for them, which Agile just avoids like the plague. Yeah. Agile doesn't tell you build in these hooks to make sure that, that what your stuff is doing and passing on to others can be traced back to you later. Yeah. Somebody said, is that still, is that because engineers still struggle to speak in terms of their benefit to the bottom line of the business? And I think yeah, that's absolutely yeah. true. <laughs> and, 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 and it's hard. And I, and like, it's taken me like four or five years. Of, and I think I'm starting to learn. <laughs> but like the universal common denominator is money. Like if you can't translate what you're trying to do into dollar terms, then you're not going to be understood by many other departments and if you can learn to translate that um i think that you you are basically super powered <laughs> but it doesn't come naturally to us you know uh, like i just remember all the times i would stand there just like arguing but this will make us you know this will make us go down more this all this stuff and their eyes would just blaze over you know and and, and it's like that extra hop into and this will cost us money it's it's just it's yeah, and, yeah. And, I, and I recognize that it's hard, Charity. I do. I think that in in the years that I have, because I I move quickly from a hardware tech to the business side very quickly, and that's what I specialize mm -hmm. in doing that translation. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the reason is one, which I think engineers have done a very good job of fighting that whole idea of putting the business analyst in front of them, right? Mm -hmm. Because they talk, you know, they talk in propeller talk. That was the old adage, right? You know, they 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 they, they scare the business folks and we need to put sanity in front of them. I think that was a mistake. <laughs> I think engineers yeah. have done pushing through that. But I think part of it too is, is that, and I talk about understanding your, the folks that you're talking to, right? Understanding the audience. We don't do a very good job of ensuring that folks understand. We don't bring them over to our side to translate to their language. We don't do a very good job of having to be able to, we expect them to learn something very complex that they have no understanding of and no dealings with. And I think there needs to be that exchange of knowledge and language so yeah. that we actually learn to speak to them and to say, when we recommend this feature or when we recommend this solution path, it's because what we're seeing is X, mm -hmm. Y, and Z down the road that will allow for us to accelerate our adoption so that we can be ahead of the curve from a marketing perspective, that kind of talk. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's not, sorry, it's, it's not just in terms of also on, on, on features, um, but also a, a lot of the times, uh, as, as, we, as uh, you said before, Jerry, the, the like ops uh, infrastructure is, is usually a, a cost sink, but many C-level or, or even managers don't understand why uh, we need that cost. It, in, in many cases, it's risk mitigation. Yeah. Um, and and then, what what I found useful in my career is when when talking to managers and C levels is, all right, let, let, let's put this in terms of risk management. Mm -hmm. Like if if we if we add this cost, we reduce the worst case by this much, kind of thing. And that's a perfect example. Back in the old days, if you got it wrong. If you didn't have all that stuff for tra tracing, people died. 
sea levels understand people die. If we go back to what Charity said at the very beginning, I'm surprised the company hasn't died. If we don't do this, the company can die is yeah. kind of the new, new way engineers can, can put forth the ideas. In the old days, we also had system level design specs where sea levels could read the system level design and then engineers could talk through the stack and say, this is why we need it to make this system level uh, design work. But the, the real key is if, if you fail and you can't recover quickly, your company yeah. can die. Yeah. Yeah. Something that I often tell my engineers when they're struggling with this is, um, number one, it's not your job to, to just say something. It's your job to make sure that you're being heard. <laughs> so like, you know, which is something I learned from therapy. <laughs> you, know, you know, like, it's almost like, it's almost like you have to ask them to repeat it back to you just to make sure it's landing because just saying it, it's not, you haven't done your job if you said the words, you've done the job once they understand you, right? And, and the other thing is, um, oh, I just totally blanked on it. Maybe it'll come back to me. <laughs> well, that, that's a good point. They're, they're not always good at being active listeners. And an and active listener will, will reflect back and say, you know, Charity, what I heard you say was that in order to really be involved in the conversation, I need to both talk and listen and make sure that what I'm saying is what they hear. And, yeah. and they don't always, the sea level people are, a lot of times, that's not their skill. No, no, no. Oh, and the, the, and the other thing is that um, when, oh, never mind. I forgot so, all over again. It keeps coming back to my mind. It'll, it'll come back one of these moments. <laughs> so it's, it's engineers in the weeds trying to communicate how the weeds become trees yeah. when in reality, the sea level is at the 10,000 foot point seeing all the forests. And oh. Yeah, and like everybody wants to do a good job and everybody wants to make good decisions. This is, this is what I was going to say. Everybody's trying to make good decisions. And if they're making a bad decision, don't bitch about it. Assume that it means they don't have the information that you have <laughs> in order to make that decision, right? Like after, like I was a CEO for the first three, three and a half years. And I remember I made so many bad decisions just because people assumed I knew things that I didn't know. Right. And like, and it is, if you think that I'm making a bad decision, it is your job to make sure that I know what you know that is making you think that I'm making a bad decision because, you know, we, we move so often through heuristics and through just, you know, we're guessing just as much as anyone else. <laughs> and like, you know, if, if people, if a whole team over there is sitting there thinking, wow, she's making a terrible decision. Don't assume that I know what you know, you know, it's our jobs to enlighten others as to what we know. I, I, I feel like senior engineers are, you know, so often the repository of, of stuff that is not obvious, but it seems yeah. obvious to you because, you know, you live, in, you live in these weeds, right? You know where every single fucking weed is planted. Uh, but like, it's, and, and the stuff that, it's like, um, it's, it's your job to amplify the things that are not obvious, right? To, to make sure that, that we can see the things that are otherwise invisible because, you know, risks especially are notoriously invisible. <laughs> you know, sea levels aren't seeing them. <laughs> to, to the point earlier, though, we also need that, we need that 
translation guide, that uh, ability to speak in ways and words that will be understood and accepted by a non-technical audience. And relationships, you know, a lot of this just comes down to a relationship that has to be, you can't be trying to create a relationship at the same time as you're trying to inform them of something that they really don't want to hear. You know, ideally, like you will have <laughs> built and be sustaining this relationship and, they, and they'll trust you and they'll know that, you know, oh, this person that doesn't just come to me like about nothing, like every time they come to me, it's about something very important. And, and after that happens two or three times, you build up, you know, more of a direct line and, and it's, you know, much easier to get the attention that you need. That reflects back on that thing where you, you, you have the sea levels trusting the vendors more than their own engineers. Exactly. And that's, that's, that's where that problem becomes even more. Yeah, but you know what? It's those yeah. vendors jobs to create that relationship. And often the engineers don't feel the same way and don't invest the same into creating that relationship. But it's cyclical because they feel that the C-levels and managers aren't listening to what- Oh, for fucking sure. I'm just like talking to the- Cause you're- Oh like, yeah, I mean, it's like, years, so I'm like, cyclical. you know, this is absolutely, but- um, you know, But I, but I often hear- The sets of engineers versus vendors. So the vendor guys that are talking, they're all salespeople. They're Donald Trump. Yeah, yes, but you know, like, I do, but you do have like, there are advantages to being the employee, right? Like you have more access, you, you don't, you know, the just shields of skepticism don't come up in the same way when you're talking to them. They, you know, your own product, you know, the territory in much more detail. Like you, you, there are advantages that, that, that we have that we, I keep, we, they, you, whatever, I'm mixing my pronouns all over, but Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like there, there are advantages that we can wield, um, but it's but it's hard it's for it, sure hard yes I, and I suspect that, sorry go ahead. well along those lines the the vendors are salespeople talking to sea levels the sea levels have most of them have spent enough time working their way up the chain to have developed the ability to shut down discussions that aren't relevant to them mm-hmm. and then you've got these engineers who actually hold the sea level a little bit in awe so it takes them a bit to get around to expressing the stuff that's important so they get shut down before it's important. Numbers are another strategy that you can take. If it's not just one engineer, but several, who are like all saying yes. we all feel this way. I, I, I suspect also that it's, it's likely that a lot of the hesitancy from the, uh, on the engineer side to speak up to the, to the C-level is about fear and and not so much about fear about communicating but fear for their position the sea level ultimately holds the rope for the engineer's job if the sea level soul says i I don't want you here you're gone they're gone uh vendors and on the other hand and particularly like salespeople, um my experience is that there's a lot more churn there so a salesperson might be six months here, six months, six months there. For them, this is routine. Um, and, and, and for an engineer to, to have the confidence to say no to their boss, it, it is daunting. Um, I, yeah. I'm, I'm sure most of us here learned to do that. Learned to, like we acquired the confidence to say like, to, to tell our bosses, no, this is a fucking stupid idea. Don't do that or, or, or you'll kill your company. But when you're, when you're newer, you don't get the opportunities. This is this is this is how you build 
a career though is by learning is by is by people learning to trust you and what you say right and and the bigger the deal the bigger the trust that will be earned if you are right you know yeah um i i think that like you know this is this does not come natural to most people including me <laughs> yes. um but but like one thing that um helped me was i think to stop thinking about it about in terms of me like personally like you know trying to deliver this bad news to an upper management person so much as i personally identify with my work i probably over identify with my work you know i feel personally responsible for it and 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 so i feel like i'm advocating on behalf of something that you know you know depersonalizing it and just making it more about the the systems and and their health and and, and, and like it's my my job to advocate for them i don't know it's 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 a slightly different framing that that was useful well, for me. i mean you're you're talking to something that that sort of stands out to me because i have a I, my feeling is that engineers have a tendency to not be heard when we're predicting bad outcomes right it's very hard for us to quantify things that weren't built right and then i feel like a lot of business people feel like oh well you you're always overbuilding this stop right don't don't go play it just ship it ship it ship it ship it get it um and i there's there's an element of truth to that right you don't know if something works or doesn't work in market if it's nobody else is using it so you can't keep polishing but at the same time I feel like it's been really easy throughout my career for somebody to be like, yeah, you guys are over engineering it. Just, just finish it and, and not have those consequences really heard. Um, and, and this also brings us back to, this brings us back to talk about risk mitigation is, um, it did, uh, I, I think it, it was in, in, the, in the SRE from home uh, conference charity that uh, that someone said like it, it it's it's not our job to to tell our CEO when something is ready to be shipped. It's it's our job to tell them if we ship it now as it is, these are the risks. If we delay by this much time and spend the time adding X and Y feature. These are the risks. The risks then. Yeah. Yeah. It's about it's about informed consent, informed consequences, right? Like letting them know what is the impact of this decision going to be in your in your best judgment. You know, so much of this just comes down to judgment. You know, and judgment is a thing that's really it's really hard to generalize about this because you know. Uh, I don't know any of you. I don't know what your tendencies are. I don't, you know, you can't give every a room full of people the, the the advice to like, you know, just just you know, ship faster or you know, just don't ship as fast because like they're all in unique situations. Like to me, the definition of a senior engineer is someone whose judgment I trust and will yield to in their domain, right? Like full stop. And and that's a very difficult thing to translate into, you know. It's also hard to hire for, like, yeah, job location. I want someone who I trust. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was going to take that and dive straight back into tech for a minute about observability in tech, because one of the questions I've been holding is, can we actually build observability stacks that transcend, like, customer, like, product, software? Like, your code is the top of a huge stack of other tech. 
Um, and what you're describing to me is this sort of transparency and accountability where it's like, all right, I'm building on top of this. My code might be perfect, but the thing I built on top of might not be. The vendor wants to pretend that it is. Can, can we start thinking about ways that actually sort of, you know, stack the turtles up so that we can, we can be honest that, that the turtles you're building on top of aren't perfect? Honestly, I think it's almost sense? the opposite. Like it's about finding, mm -hmm. having to care about as few turtles as possible. And just like, I don't want to give a shit about whether the firmware has a bug in the ethernet card of any of the shit that Amazon is running for <laughs> me, right? Like I do not want to care like at all. It's just like, is it not healthy? Great. Stop using it, terminate it, get a new one. You know, like mm. I only want to have to care about my pet turtles, the code that I'm writing to solve my business problem. Interesting. Yeah. That's, that's it's funny because I that's is where I um black boxes in my history have, have been have burned. So me. I think that I think that like we are at like it has never really been possible before in 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 tech to to abstract away this much technology. Um, okay. And I, and so here's an interesting thing that I've been kind of noodling over that I haven't really talked about yet. So like, I feel like if you're asking someone to change from one tool or way of doing things to another, you pretty much have, you're not justified in doing it unless it's an order of magnitude better than the thing that it's replacing. Like, because of the cognitive effort, the, uh, the social effort, the distraction, the time it takes to like, you know, if it's like 50% better, if it's twice as good, it's probably not worth it. <laughs> like, I think it has to be an order of magnitude better in order for me to confidently say yes. And I think that the tools around observability and not just, obser not just observability, but also like feature flags, all this stuff have just reached the point where they are an order of magnitude better than what came before. Now, if you look at the Dora reports, right, for 2017 to 2018, for 2018 to 2019, what you see, you don't see a lot of change 2017 to 2018. 2018 to 2019, what you see is, you know, the bottom 50% gets slightly worse. Um, the top 50% gets slightly better. But the top 20%, like it goes from like 7% of elite that are elite to 20% that are elite. And it's starting to go like this, right? Like an exponential, like they're achieving escape velocity. And I, I think that that's because the teams that have started to really embrace this, 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 you know this set of tools and this way of thinking where you know the code you, you merge it it automatically gets deployed it it's it's well instrumented it, they're just moving so much faster it i feel like it is an order of magnitude better than what came before and 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 you're doing that by abstracting away a fuck ton of tech and just not caring about it and saying that's amazon's job all my people work for amazon right I, I agree, uh, and, and and this is an, an anecdotal, but I mean it it's gotten better to the point where financial institutions who are historically extremely high inertia in terms of technology adoption are adopting the new technologies because, as you said, it's got this order order of magnitude difference, and and that it it they're finally saying like yeah. It, it's worth our time to, to switch to, to using this. Right. Yeah, and but then you, uh, and because people are seeing that order of magnitude difference, 
they've got the new buzzword digitalization. Everybody has to digitalize <laughs> their processes because as that's opposed to my think. analog computers. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I mean, when you say better, though, better is a hard word because yeah. you have to agree on what metrics you're using mm -hmm. to measure, mm -hmm. and and the new paradigms are so different that some businesses can't see the difference between what you're showing them that's better and what they're doing right now because they're blind to that whole section of um of new that they just you know they, they just can't see it they don't have words for it and because they don't have words for it they can't imagine <laughs> any value associated with it i mean velocity what does that mean if you don't yeah. know what it means how yeah. do you how do you explain that to a sea level or well the dora metrics are a great place to start right the four dora metrics the uh, the like uh time between when you write the code when it goes live uh the um time it takes to um to, to deploy the number the time times that how long your system is down and how long it takes to recover like those are the four metrics that they say you can basically tell how high performing a team is by measuring those which i think you're right doesn't work for 100 percent of companies but pretty good start for like the overwhelming majority interesting to get nicole here talk about that goes her. back to the old uh uh, uh mainframe days meantime between failures Meantime to recover and all sorts of things along those lines. Uh, so it's bringing some of that stuff forward again, but there are lots of folks who've never experienced mainframe. So they don't even know that that exists in the world and it's all <laughs> brand new and shiny, but the, no idea of how to approach it. The one difference I would see, and I haven't seen this as a metric and maybe, maybe the Dora metrics accommodate this, but I'm seeing that the the ephemeral, the time to life, the time to live metric is actually for, for the people we're dealing with, thinking about infrastructure is short time to time duration rather than long duration is like key to a lot of these other thought processes. And so, um, yeah, we ought to see if we can get, get somebody to come in and talk about, see if uh, Nicole do it. Um, talk about Dora and the metrics and things like that. Right, and that we spell? we are at the top of the hour, everybody. I, I love- Oh, this has been so much fun. Thanks for having me here, really you're, enjoyed you're it. You're welcome to come in. Um, as a reminder, we're, we're also doing these Thursday morning conversations. Charity, probably not your favorite time since people wanted it <laughs> at 8 a.m. on the West Coast. But, um, <laughs> me too, me too. Uh -uh. The, um, I, yeah, I'm sorry. So we're still doing this at a reasonable time and then we're doing um, oh this is great how do i get on the invite to, if you go to i just uh, bought the domain so it's the 2030.cloud and right. there's a track for uh, cloud 2030 we're having strategic discussions we record them um and awesome. that's where we we talk so this this lunch is about ta tactics the thursday sessions are about strategy it's a simple way to say it gotcha. But please help yeah, bring people into the community. We're looking for practitioners, people who want to talk about where cloud's going and ideas like what you were sharing are awesome and fun. So Thanks. thank you. <laughs> but we're, we're here every week. So just, ah, thank you, Patrick. That's cool. Like, 
All right, everybody. Until next week or thanks, everybody. Thursday morning. Thanks. See you then. Thanks. Have a good week. Hey, you got to put a positive spin on everything nowadays. I'll let you go from making uh, $1 to $15. That's a 15x growth. Well, that's, that's a trick. We launched in 2019, and then in 2020, we've seen a thousand times launch growth. Woo. <laughs> I mean, to, to be fair, if it's user-based user -based growth for a startup, that's good. Um, assuming that they're, they're able to scale uh, to meet the demand. <laughs> but if it's, yeah, if it's revenue, <laughs> which is what they're talking about, I'm like, maybe I should have, maybe I did the plan wrong. I should have started the company, you know, started our, actually car, start a company in the fall. I should have had somebody pay me a dollar and then I would have had, you know, exponential growth from the, from the first year to the second to the third. And it's just, it's just, it's just bad. To me, it's paid marketing and it bugs me when people do that. I'm looking at you, everybody in the market. <laughs> and uh, Charity is signed up to talk today, but I haven't had, they haven't responded to my pings yet. So there's a chance that we will not have Charity as a as a speaker. Hey, Rocky. Actually, now that you mention it, I, I took a look at their website, and what really bothers me is the eleven nine data durability part. <laughs> like, I expect the data durability to be a hundred, <laughs> like, then not not eleven nine. I I expect a, maybe the availability to be eleven nine. Yeah. I, it, but uh, yeah. I actually, I actually talked to them because we, I mean, this, this, it's a becoming a recurring theme for us where um, we talk, sorry, there's a lot of background noise for a moment, but we talk about, um, you know, S3 buckets running awry and generating a lot of cost. And so, um, you know, the idea that you have a cheaper S3 source sounds attractive. I mean, S3 has a ton of services. It's 20 years old, right? It has a ton of services factored on top of it, almost 20. Uh, layered on top of it. Yeah. Um, but when I mean, I, to, to I, be fair, uh, yeah. I, I was going to say, to be fair, Chris's uh, cost problems were on the network side of S3, not, not so much the, the storage side. Right. Well, and that's if you're going to store a lot of stuff, I, it's, it's the egress that's going to crush you usually, right? That's yeah. the whole game. Um, the thing that got me was I'm like, all right, so where's your SSL? HTTPS integration. I can't, you're not helping me just storing stuff without HTTP. And they didn't, they couldn't answer that question at the time when I talked to them. And I'm like, I. Yeah, and did security guarantees and yeah. Yeah, no, it's, I, I mean, then, you know, this is the history of the internet over the last 10 years is bad uh, S3 hygiene has caused, you know, several, you know, it's it's becoming you know second to DNS is the leading cause of uh, issues, right? <laughs> we have to do a DNS. Uh, I need to bring it up. Oh, um, I need. We should bring in. It'd be interesting to bring in a DNS speaker. Um, Michael, for sure. Um, I'm always curious about the DNS side of it. Um,
if it's all right with you, in a couple of weeks, I might dry run. Um, oh, they have to take it. SRECon. I was going to do a talk for SRECon about how Pixie works. So I might, I might dry, dry run. And I would, I would encourage people, if you're doing a presentation and you want to dry run it with the group, um, this, that would be a, I'm, I'm happy to get previews. That sounds of, good. Uh, presentations. Uh, on the DNS, could you actually make sure that the, that we get some, uh, Reality on DOS over HTTP, though. DOS over HTTP? Yeah. It's actually HTTPS, but yeah. Um, like denial of service? No. Oh, DNS, sorry. DNS, oh, DNS. over uh, HTTPS. Not enough coffee yet. We had a, um, we did a latest shiny with one uh, with Blue Cat. Um, uh, podcast, and uh, it would be interesting. You know, be interesting if they want to come in and, and talk that through from that perspective. It's um, it'd be interesting just in general. I'm thinking about the cloud 2030 topics, which are you know more forward looking, but DNS is one of those very pragmatic things that um, it's. Yeah, there's actually some really good engineering going in around DNS. Uh, in the, the I, I encourage the the podcast was great. We talked about edge DNS. Um, oh, cool! And some of the stuff that they're doing on on edge, and so that was a really interesting. That was a good podcast. So yeah, I found that that to be interesting. And I am not. Uh, Charity has not checked in with me so there's a chance we're not going to see any i haven't this is this is a first i i've been lucky so far it's been pretty easy to get uh the speakers to show up without a lot of nagging uh so i i'm not in the habit of um let's see yeah charity i don't know why but i oh Aha. Charity is trying to log in and can't. Okay. Let me give her yay. Those darn school children trying to use this for learning. How dare they? Let's see. They they keep moving where the friggin' uh, link is. Nope. Here it is. Copy link. Okay. Yay. I'm glad I'm not the only one having that issue. With Zoom, <laughs> I was starting to think I was, you know, losing it a little bit. Now, no. actually, for some of these things, you just want to save the link off in in some place uh, safe uh, repository or something, and just keep coming back to it if it's a recurring meeting because you'll never find it again in the email or in the message notification. The calendar. That was note. weird. I entered, I entered this from the email link and I couldn't really post, I couldn't really, what do you call it? And now I just use the webinar ID and it looks a lot more normal. <laughs> um, you were talking about the DNS. I, just, I was talking about, uh, you were uh, talking about someone to do a talk on DNS. There's uh, John Del, uh, Bellamaric. He's the guy that does uh, core DNS. Okay. Ooh, and he's like okay. one of the world experts on DNS. I would love, I'd love to hear more about core. Can you reach out to him and see if he'll talk? 
um, I wouldn't know how, I mean, I saw it on the, on the, huh. on the Kubernetes podcast, John Bellamarek. I can, I can find him if you don't have a connection. And I see no. that there are attendees in my list that may be able to, if you're an attendee, um, uh, I can't hear you. And for some reason, I don't see you. I'm going to close this window and see what's going on. And, and the other thing, yeah, HTTP over I DNS. Promote, I would promote people. Um, how many people do we have? Sorry, now I'm doing, yeah, so we've got seven. This is weird. Um, why does it, do I have attendees? It says 10 participants on my screen. Mine too. Which is right, but there's two of them oh, are promoted. attendees that are not showing up in my participant list, like they're invisible. Larry Smithmeyer, maybe? I promoted him to panelist. Okay. Yeah. Yay, tech. Um, DNS over HTTP is going to cause a lot of headaches. <laughs> First of all, anyone who's, who's rocking Active Directory, let's start with that. You have an internal, let's say you have a split horizon DNS, and everyone's doing DNS against your Active Directory. And then suddenly Chrome starts doing DNS lookups through some public DNS, HD, uh, HTTP, uh, DNS over HTTP. Gonna be a pain. Well, from from my perspective, the headaches are, are not going to be so much on the infrastructure side. I, I I'm confident that that will adapt, but more on the security side. Uh, and it, it's in terms of egress traffic and and controlling that uh, DOH is quite a nightmare. I I I can understand from the from the other perspective, like as a as an individual, like uh, like in terms of privacy, DOH, at least in paper, seems great. Uh, but uh, when you're when you're trying to control the traffic on your own network, and suddenly you, you're effectively overloading HTTPS. When you, you're already seeing this with WebSockets, where like you you lose control or, over like the, the accountability of the of the packets going back and forth between your applications if, if they're over HTTPS. And yeah, adding DNS on that is, I mean, it's not going to help that. Uh, That's interesting. Because you're basically treating HTTP as a, uh, HTTPS as a transport. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so, which, which is what, what it is, like you're applying TLS or do, do many different things. It's just you end up using the, the, the same port. Yeah. Now I'm just thinking like WebSockets. What's the difference between WebSockets and HTTP? Well, HTTP, for one is the, sorry. Go ahead. They're different. I and mean, that's exactly it. The WebSockets is a, is a two-way channel that, that it, you're running an application over WebSockets. Yeah. Maybe I'm just uh, poo-pooing HTTP. Uh, I mean, the, the bigger difference uh, like between WebSocket and, and HTTP is that WebSocket starts as an HTTP to, to negotiate uh, what ends up being later a TCP connection. It, it, 
it's literally a socket over 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 TLS and or I mean assuming that you're using the WSS if you if you can do it without TLS as well. Um, and then after that, like from the perspective of your proxy, it's still a single connection. You 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 lose the accountability of like how many frames are getting sent back and forth. Uh, you you don't know the content of the frames. You you uh, it, like when when you're trying to when you're trying to debug issues with WebSockets or uh, like do uh, rate limiting on that, uh, there's no products out there yet that I'm aware of um, that let you do that. Yeah, I guess that's interesting. It's um, interesting. I kind of treat HTTPS as because it's based on HTTP protocol. So, I mean, in, in I don't know. It's been a long day. Let's go. And, and we're just about the time when I would turn over the mic to Charity, but y'all were rocking on the DNS conversation. So, um, and I would, I, you know, hey Charity, good to see you. I'm glad you made it in. Sorry about the Zoom bumps. Sorry, I'm late. I literally just rolled out of bed. It was been a very long night. <laughs> a lot of no long worries. nights this week. No worries. Thank you for joining us. Totally. The uh, and and we're super casual, so um, the the background the background and I'll I'll and I'll give you a little background and then I'll ask you to introduce yourself because what what I typically do is cut the video to your introduction so when we we go back to a record that's what we get and whatever the intro is I, I stuff on the back of the video so people want to hear about us chatting about random stuff that they get to um we were talking and rocky you were pivotal in this conversation um we were talking about qa and devops and the challenge of like really doing this pipeline QA and thinking through the automation for QA and, and differentiating between QA and test. And naturally your name came up um, about, oh about, <laughs> about how observability fits into that and how people can think about looking at, at infrastructure in a, you know, the, there's, there's layers. I mean, I know from our conversations, there's layers of this. Yeah. So, um, you know, you, you, your name came up as, as somebody we, we thought would have fun talking about it. And that's exactly, the, that's, that's the background. So that sounds if, great. <laughs> if, you, if you don't mind a, an intro and then uh, we'll, we'll roll. <laughs> 